So our scripture today is Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning. Welcome. You know, here at the top, since we're talking about current groups, I want to give a shout out to the one uh, I'll be a part of, uh, Alpha. If you guys haven't heard of it yet, I uh, hope, hope, hope you look into it further. You can check out um, the website and the, all the details on the, on the uh, All Church email. Um, but it's basically, it's a group that's uh, a place that's for folks who are either exploring the Christian faith or are very, very new to the Christian faith with, with, no, with any number of questions. It's creating a safe place to ask those questions. A great place where it's not just a you know, Christian group saying, hey, here are what we're thinking and what we, what we know or collecting. It's just coming together and saying, hey, I've got questions about this. I'm, I'm working this through. I'm trying to figure out what this all means. Um, that we want to create a space for that. Um, so if you'd like to hear more information about that or be a part of that group, there's sign-ups in the back. Um, that group is actually filling up. If not, you know, it's getting close to filling up. So if you, if you can, I'd encourage you to do that more quickly uh, than not. But we're, we're really excited about that group. I look, look forward to seeing a number of you who have already signed up there. Um, let me start this message by asking this question. How does knowing what's in your future uh, affect how you live today? Uh, by the way, can I, can I quickly ask that this thing be turned off? I'm getting a major echo into my... It's kind of hard to think. With, thank you. Um, how, does, how does knowing what's ahead in your life, the future, uh, in your own future, uh, impact how you live today? Uh, I know a number of you guys are... Thank you. A number of you guys are expecting uh, babies, actually. There's nothing like a due date to get you in gear um, and planning and motivated and like, okay, I got to do my best to get at it and get ready for things. Some of you guys are students. And so that graduation coming up is really helping you get at your, stu your studies, uh, hopefully taking it really seriously while, while, you're, while you're in it. Um, I know a lot of you guys have uh, product launches, and I would like to think that not just the deadline nature of that product launch date coming up, uh, you know, and kind of that looming over you, but also the motivation of like, boy, there's going to be such a sense of, of accomplishment, of achievement, of excitement when you get on that side of that launch that motivates you here and now to get at it and just really, really work hard. 
Um, Cindy and I have some friends who uh, also uh, started a church um, a couple years ahead of, of current who uh, shared some advice with us, a married couple that shared some advice with us. And they say, hey, look, David and Cindy, in this especially busy uh, time of your life, you need to be all the more serious about taking date nights seriously, planning special outings together. Because what we've found, they were telling us, is not only do these times in and of themselves replenish us, rejuvenate our marriage, we have found that the anticipation of these times, that the anticipation of these times has helped us get at what we want to get at and we find important here and now to work hard and to really focus on, on what's in front of us. Do you guys ever have that as something that helps you, uh, something that's coming down the road, help you in a way uh, that nothing else can and motivating you to do uh, what you need to get at today? I believe that's what the text is getting at that we, we just had read. It's a text that is basically saying for the Christian, knowing what's ahead, knowing what God has planned for them, how amazing it is, how wonderful it is, um, knowing what's ahead will help empower us to be here for good. Now that, of course, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that's our vision series, Here for Good. The basic premise behind it is this, whether or not we feel the same way, God loves where we are, God loves the Silicon Valley, God loves the people here, and he's placed us as a church, as individuals, as families, to be here to have a lasting impact for the good of those around us. And so we want to lean into that. We've been considering that for the last two weeks. We're going to finish next week and on our birthday. But today we've come to, we come to see in this text how knowing what's to come can help equip us and empower us to live here and now here for the good. Let me pray and then we'll, then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for this day that we get to come together and worship you. That we get to come together and, and connect. Um, that we get to come and sit underneath your word. We have to learn from, from your scripture. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit. Would you, would you touch us today? Would you touch us as a church collectively, corporately? But would you also touch us individually? Uh, would you speak into each of our lives uh, that we would, we would hear what you have for us today? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, okay, so for starters, as we get into this text, um, it, it's not really the scope of, uh, of this, of this uh, text to say what is to come, to really describe what's to come, uh, but rather, as, I, as, I've, as I've been saying, it's, it's more showing us how what's to come impacts our here and now. However, there are some descriptions of what's to come, and they're, they're actually quite interesting. If you look at verse 16, uh, it says, the people of faith described there were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And then back in verse 10, uh, they're looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, while the Bible doesn't have just a ton of specifics that it says about the next life, we are, ter- we are told in general terms uh, what is to, to come. And essentially, it's a complete restoration to, 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 the things, uh, to bringing things and bringing ourselves, bringing people into what life was always meant to be. We're told that there will be no more pain. We're told that there will be no more tears. We're told that relationships will be made whole. Um, But across the board, we're not given a whole lot of specifics. But here we are given an interesting specific. It talks about specifically a city that's being prepared for us. Um, And this is not the only place it talks about this. The the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, also talks about a city. Um, What do you think the Bible means by the promise of a city that's to come? Uh, imagine all the great things that happen in cities that don't necessarily happen, for instance, in the country or in small towns. Uh, it's in the cities where different kinds of people living in very close quarters enrich each other, interact with each other, cooperate with each other, and learn from each other. 
And it's in the city where there's a concentration and a pooling of talents, uh, where people and ideas are stimulated and collaborated on. It's, it's in the city where there's an explosion of human, human creativity, an explosion of human achievement, whether it's in, the te- in technology, whether it's in arts, whether it's in the sciences, or, or so forth. But it's only in the city to come that all the frustrations in the life, including, by the way, the frustrations that are unique to cities, will ultimately be made perfect, will be restored. Um, if you want to look at, we, we don't have time to kind of consider more um, what, what the next life has to promise, but here's what Martin Luther's take on it is, uh, just, just to give us a quote to kind of uh, consider. I would not give up one moment of heaven for all the joys and riches of the world, even if it lasted thousands and thousands of years. And then here's Billy Graham's uh, take on it, and, and actually bringing us back to the real drive, driving force of this text, uh, when he said, uh, my home is in heaven, so I'm just traveling through this world which if you think about it, there's a person who really lived in light of what's to come. I want to consider with you today three ways uh, this text shows us how living what's, uh, for what's to come uh, helps us live here uh, for good. So first thought uh, is kind of a low-hanging fruit. Uh, understanding what's ahead helps us live for more than this. It helps us understand that what's in front of us, materially and, and so forth, what's right in front of us, uh, that there's, there's more than this, that God has great purpose for our lives. He has a greater purpose in our lives than we tend, tend to think or see. And knowing this helps us pay attention to how we can be a part of it. If, if you look at verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would rather receive as inheritance, obeyed and went. I love the simple structure of this sentence. There's a very clear delineation. It's saying, God called and Abraham decided, am I going to go? Am I in? God said, are you in? And Abraham said, okay, sure, I'm in. Um, that's really how God works, isn't it? And if you've been coming here for the last three weeks as we've been doing this series, it's actually become sort of an unintentional theme of this series. I didn't come into the series saying, hey, I get this, there's this one thought that comes out of all these texts that we're going to look at. It's just kind of come out as we've been looking at these texts, and that is God calls us to be a part of things far greater than we ever stop to, to realize or think. And it's on us to hear from him, to pay attention, to kind of discern the ways we can, to say, are we in or are we out? The first week, do you remember when we looked at Jonah? God came to him and said, hey, Jonah, are you in? Are you here to help love, love this great city of Nineveh? And Jonah said, I'm out. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that. Took off in, in a ship as far as away, in a direction, and getting away as far away as, as he could. Um, what's interesting to, thing to me about uh, Jonah that I've been thinking about this week uh, since, since talking about him that, that first week is how gracious God was to him in that whole process. Because God could have said, and he very often does, when, when Jonah said, I'm out, God said, okay, fine. If you don't want to be a part of this, uh, that's fine. But he didn't. It was almost more gracious, probably more gracious. He said, you know what, Jonah? You have no idea what you're getting ready, that you could, of what you could be a part of if you would just turn and be a part of the things that I'm calling you into. So he pursued Jonah. He pursued Jonah. And finally, Jonah got to be a part of those wonderful things. That's Jonah's story. Last week, we saw how Abraham, in another, another context, in the, in the, the account in Genesis 18, uh, had, a, had a story where God came to him. And do you remember what God said there? He said, shall I let Abraham know about the plans I'm getting ready to do? Uh, we chuckled about that because that was God talking to himself. But we were, we were thinking about it in the sense of God saying, making very clearly, not so that he had to work through and process his thoughts, not that he didn't know what he was getting ready to do, but to show us, the reader, and Abraham for that matter, that he includes us in his works, that he wants to 
invite us to be a part of his plans. And if you remember in that text, quite opposite to Jonah, when God said to Abraham, are you in? He said, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. And so Abraham stepped into that. Well, here today in the text we're looking at today, again, we're looking at Abraham and others like him. Uh, We see the same thing. God called, and Abraham, it says, obeyed and went. I hope this is redundant because uh, this this is how God works and how he wants to work. He wants to let you in on what he's doing. Um, You might be involved in some pretty exciting things in this life. One of the amazing things about being in Silicon Valley is uh, we get to be a part of some amazing things in in terms of human culture. Some of you guys are working on the next big innovation, either in the startup or one of the big companies. Some of you guys are are just killing it on those fronts. But what God is saying is, would you, if if that's if that's all that you're focused on, you got to lift up your eyes. There's something so much more that I want to call you into. I want I want to change eternity through you. So the question then becomes, as it was for each of these folks, uh, for ourselves, are we in? Um, he wants us to be here for good. And so the question I, I think we can use to ask ourselves and, and to think about this is, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what he's up to in your life? Uh, are, you under, are you paying attention? Are you coming to him and asking him? You might not get a cloud parting you know, type of a moment where the, you know, the angels descend on you and say, this is what God is getting ready to say or do, wants to do through you. But I would think that it would probably take you and myself slowing down in this culture to say, God, what is it you're doing in my life? Asking him questions like, how might you want to use me here for good? Who are the people in my life that I can serve, that you want me to serve, to love, care for, in ways that your word calls me to? Um, maybe, you know, I can't help but say this, because we've talked about it now three weeks, maybe there's someone here where every time we've talked about this in its different nuances, God's brought to mind for you something very specific. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure this is what he means when he's talking about what I could be involved in. Uh, taking that to him, taking that to others, working that through. But how can we be involved in more than this in, in a way that God wants us to be here for the good in light of what's to come? A second thought, living for what's to come, helps us reorder our loves. Abraham uh, set out in verse 8, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him uh, of the same promise. Um, Any of you guys ever move, like when you were a little kid and you had to adopt to a new culture? Uh, I had to move uh, move from SoCal up to the Bay Area to Berkeley when I was in sixth grade, which was extra hard because in SoCal, at least where I was, uh, uh, sixth grade meant you were in elementary school. It meant I was kind of the king of the schoolyard, right, Uh, with all my buddies. Um, in the Bay Area, sixth grade is bottom of the totem pole, middle school, okay? And middle school is kind of, you know, good luck, survival of the fittest type deal. So that's kind of what I was thrown into, and it was really hard. And I'm a pretty extroverted person, or it was hard. I mean, it was just people would just make fun of each other um, on the campus. And you, you being the new kid, that you got picked on, you had to learn pretty quickly how to, how to kind of survive in that kind of culture. Um, but uh, Abraham, if, if that kind of thing was hard, Abraham was, was asked to move into a new neighborhood, not like entering a school district where eventually I was absorbed in, but after a couple of years, I was one of, one of everybody. Abraham was asked to go into a new area where he was asked to live as a stranger in a foreign country, where remember, this is 2,000 years before Christ, okay? This is the time of, of, of uh, history when folks kind of 
picked up and moved in a new place, the people in that, that, that place who've, who'd been there are looking at that person, sizing them up and saying, should we attack this dude? Um, it also says he lived in tents. And you guys love, live, you know, camping? And when I say camping, I'm not talking about going and pitching a tent next to a porta potty and like the running water. Uh, that's glamping, okay? That's not what, uh, maybe that's not even glamping actually today. We're getting kind of crazy with it. Um, he was living in tents, okay? Abraham had the willingness to go out from all that was secure, prosperous, peaceful, and enjoyable. You know what the Genesis account actually tells us? It says that God's demand actually included that he would leave his father's house, that he would leave his family. Martin Luther put it this way in terms of the cost of his obedience. In the first place, it was hard for him to leave his native land, which is natural for us to have to love. Furthermore, it was hard to leave friends and their companionship, but most of all, to leave relatives and one's family house. Abraham recognized that in responding to God's demands, he, must place, he, he had to place his entire reliance on God who not only called him, but would guide his steps, meet his needs, and prepare a greater future. Uh, It was Augustine who said we ought to reorder our loves, that the gospel ought to reorder our loves, by which he did not mean, by the way, don't enjoy life. You know, root out everything that's fun and enjoyable in life. That's not the point. And if you look at the, 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 the Bible, even actually starting in page one, when God shows up and creates all these wonderful things, he's delighting in it. He loves it. The art of it, the work in it, the, the leisure of it, the, the resting in it, all of it he delights and he wants us to steward it as well as delight in it, to enjoy it. But we must ask ourselves, are the good things in this life getting in the way of the love of our life and the love of for our life. Um, here's how Randy Alcorn uh, put this. Um, he said, the most tragic strain in human existence lies in the fact that the pleasure we've, which we find in the things of this life, however good and pleasure uh, may be, however good that pleasure may be in itself, is always taken away from us. The things for which men strive hardly ever turn out to be a satisfying, as turn out to be as satisfying as they expected. And in rare cases in which they do, sooner or later they are snatched away. For Christians, all those partial, broken, and fleeting perfections which he glimpses in the world around him, which wither in his grasp and are snatched away from him even while they wither, are found again perfect, complete, and lasting in the absolute beauty of God. Knowing what's to come and knowing who's to come ought to reorder our lives. You know, it seems to me, In the Silicon Valley, we have a front seat at all the amazing things this life has to offer. I mean, obviously in terms of the technology, but in terms of the food and wine. um, We might not be in the city or certain parts. There's amazing things here in terms of where we're able to travel to on on a short, on a moment's notice, and the means that that, that, uh, this culture has in order to make all these things work. We, We have at our fingertips some amazing things in this life. But what God is saying, if, if any of these things, even the most wonderful things, become the ultimate wonderful thing, if they become the most important love, uh, God is saying that we're missing out, that we're, we're, we're missing out on what he calls us into, even greater things. Uh, what might reordering your life look like, uh, reordering your, the loves of your life look like? How might this help you to be here for good? Uh, there's this really interesting video project out there right now called I Am Second. Any of you guys... 
heard of this? I am second. Um, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool organization that's doing this. Um, their whole deal is they're they're uh, uh, video recording interviews of people all across life spectrums. Okay, so you have. Um, you know, if there's a number of really famous people that if I were to mention their names, you'd recognize them, as well as homeless folks. There's, uh, there's elderly who are sharing their story. There's millennials. There's business people. There's techies, the whole gamut. And they're all sharing their story about how they aim to be second in life. I am second, of course, to God. They want God and his, and his purpose in their lives to be first. Uh, you should really check it out. It's really, it's really well done, thoughtful. Um, well, their most recent high-profile video that they that they posted is of Michael Ketterer. Have you heard of that name, Michael Ketterer? Any of you guys? If you've you've watched, uh, darn, what's the, I'm totally, America's Got Talent. If you watched America's Got Talent, you know Michael Ketterer, or you might might know him. Um, Cindy and I love to watch with the kids America's Got Talent, which quick footnote, um, you're probably going to have to fast forward stuff if you have little ones with small small kids. Um, I don't want you to go home and start watching with your kids, and the pastor told me I could watch it. Um, There's... (laughs) There's one kid who all she does, she basically acts like a demon. It's, it's weird. That's not the whole show, by the way. Anyways, that's the footnote, okay? Don't come back to that. Um, anyways, there's a singer on there called Michael Ketterer, and uh, he's, he's my favorite guy on there. He's actually the only guy I've ever voted for in these things. You guys actually ever vote for these things? I voted for him. I voted for him. So that's how much of an impression he's made on me. Uh, before any of this that I'm telling you, this is like, you know, and so anyways, we're, we're, we're watching him, and he, to me, he's the best singer uh, par, par excellence, but he, his story is just like, it's phenomenal. It's so moving. Um, his story is, uh, he, was ra- he was raised without a dad, and he had people in his life saying, hey, you know, what? You, need, you, know you just need to understand that God's your father. And he said, uh, you know, in this video, he's just saying, you know, I... Uh, that, you know, that was good and helpful, but really what I needed in my life was somebody who would come around me and hold me, hold me in my arms. Um, that's his life, and he was, he's talking about his story with, uh, with his wife, and he, they, they got married, and early on, they were just like, the last thing in the world we'd ever want to do, we ever should do, is have kids, and lo and behold, they get pregnant, and when they get pregnant, they're like, oh no, this is not going to work, how's this going to happen? But they, they do okay, and they're, they're, the little girl grows to be about eight years old, at, at which point she starts to have uh, dreams. She starts to have recurring dreams about three little boys who are hurt, who are lost, who are wandering, that they need help for two years. Finally, after about two years of this recurring dream, Michael's like, okay, we should probably look into this. We should probably like figure this out. So they went and applied to become foster parents, went through the whole system, um, got accepted, and you want to guess what their first placement was? Three little boys um, who were really lost and hurting um, and, you know, it's funny is when they, when they heard that news, he's like, this is, this is insane. Okay, God, okay, got it. Of course, these guys are not only going to be kids that we foster, but kids we're probably going to, they're going to be, they're our sons. Um, and yet, even in that moment, he's like, but how are we going to do this financially? We can't do this. And then he started looking into that, and he found out that there's all these qualifying programs that were like, you know what, healthcare's taken care of for these guys. If they get into college, that, that'll be taken care of if, you know, they meet certain requirements. And he's like, okay, God, I have zero excuses now. Okay, it's so abundantly obviously through this dream, through this, this, this financial uh, provision that I'm going to do it. So he did it, and you know, things got, you know, it was good, but it was, it was really hard. All these three of these kids were, were literally raised in a meth lab. I mean, they just had a hard, I mean, one of the sons especially just had some really hard medical challenges, which by the way, he's doing a lot better from, he's healed from it. Um, but it's just been one thing after another that's been hard, and he's had to rely on God. They've actually fostered and then adopted two other kids, each, by the way, with crazier stories than the one I just shared with you, 
crazier than dream and all that. Yes, crazier. You got to go watch the movie. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Anyways, he's, he got accepted to compete on America's Got Talent. And he's just like, wow, cool. Okay, I don't have any idea where this is going to go. But if nothing else, it allows me to have an opportunity to sing in front of the world, millions of people, to my sons, to my kids, telling them how much I love them. And it's like, okay, you already like, see where this guy's coming from. So he, he gets up there. He doesn't know anything. You could tell we saw the first night he played. He was real nervous. He didn't, but he starts singing, and he gets the golden buzzer, which meant he automatically goes on the next round. I'm, clearly, I'm into America's Got Talent. But he got the, Amer- the, the golden buzzer from Simon Cowell. Okay, thank you. I got a couple oohs from there. <laughs> Simon Cowell, for those of you guys who don't know, is about as tell-as-it-is guy that there exists. You can go on YouTube and probably spend a couple hours of him just laying down smack. I don't encourage you to do that. You'll be depressed. You'll be depressed. But anyways, Simon Cowell gives him the, and he gives him the golden buzzer and tears up. Simon Cowell tears up and then says these words, that was an amazing song, Michael. You are an extraordinary human being. And I'm just sitting there like, what is, what is happening? Was the miracle of the three sons or Simon Cow <laughs> saying that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, and what is Michael doing in all of this? What is he doing in all of this? You know what's amazing to me? He's not up there. You know how like uh, the, okay, it's Tyra Banks is the host. She'll come and she'll like, she'll like say, oh, hey, great performance. You have anything to say or whatever. And you would think that maybe he would take the opportunity to be like, hey, I'm, just, I'm doing this for God, and I just want to say thank you. He doesn't do any of that. All glory to God, that sort of thing. Which, you know what? Frankly, I kind of admire about him, because I think gone are the days when folks can do that and have effect, uh, most people at least. Um, but what is he doing? You don't have to dig but two inches under the surface to see that he's claiming that he is second. That his whole life is about living for the one who cares for him and loves him in such a way that he just can't help but live in a different way. And his whole life screams that. No one can look into Michael Federer's life and his wife's life and say, oh, you're just doing that because you know it's the right thing to do. My word, you can't do that. Um, but he's, he's, he's out there saying, you know what, I am second. Actually, he even ends the video, uh, this I am second testimony video, this way. He says, talking about himself and talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He says, uh, quoting kind of like what God might say, even if you're disabled and broken, you are my son. And then Michael says, I believe that's who our Heavenly Father really is. He's not afraid to get down in the dirt with us. Matter of fact, he sent his son to be just like us, to experience all our same issues, seeing us healed and set free. By the way, here's the vision statement of the I Am Second website. Restoration. The world as it was meant to be. People redeemed and lives transformed, relationships rebuilt, communities revitalized, and culture restored. We seek a world where people become second, serving and loving each other as they put Jesus first. I'd say that just about sums up this vision series, wouldn't you say? Look, you might not feel called to leave where you are and live in tents. Um, That might not be God's calling for your life. You might not even be called to foster. Although maybe you do feel that. Or maybe you feel called to help invest in caring for foster kids and their caretakers. We'd love to talk to you, by the way, on that. Uh, There's ways that you can be a part of that. But hey, that's getting really specific. That's playing off of Michael Ketterer's story. It's not all of us. But there are any number of ways that we we ought to consider reordering our loves in the day-to-day. What are things you love 
But take your time, take your energy, take your emotional thought and well-being that might get in the way of being available to follow God's leading in your life to love others. Um, How might you say, I am second with your life, to love and be here for good? Uh, Loving and extending his love where he has you. Where God leads you, where he's prepared, what he's prepared ahead of you, it's amazing and it's worth living here and now for good, his good through you. Um, Last thought, living for what's what's to come uh, helps us find joy in sacrifice. Um, This is probably the most touching and moving thing to me out of this scripture text. I mean, it's looking at the life of Abraham and and a number of other people of the ancient uh, followers of God there as being people of faith, of, of their faithfulness. And it says this in verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Actually, that phrase, if you want to get into kind of what the Hebrew is really saying, um, is it says, it's basically saying they hailed with delight. Uh, it's, talking about, it's talking about them having an abundant joy in what they were going through, knowing what, what was with, uh, knowing what was ahead of them. In other words, I mean, think of it this way. They were living without the joy that many of us would probably seek in this life. I mean, a lot of the promises it says in this text were not fulfilled in their lifetime. They didn't get to experience it. But the joy they had was in what's coming in the life to come. They had joy there. The question then becomes for us, how might we tap into that? How might we find joy in sacrifice like they do? And it's at this point that usually my cynical self comes out and has the objection, David, okay, maybe you're saying that this is, you know, it's really helpful to know that what comes next in life, if it's a wonderful thing, if it really is that way, that's a great motivator. I can see that. But really, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that's able to help me do the things that we're talking about here. Um, I'm not sure it's enough. But the answer, the response to that thought is we have more than enough. We have more than what even the ancients had because they just had, hey, there's this wonderful promises coming ahead, but we have Jesus. Um, it talks about them hailing with delight the wonderful things that would, that would come in front of them. But you know what? They're only pointing to Jesus and what he, what he ultimately would do ahead of them and us looking back can see that he has done for us. They hailed with delight being foreigners and strangers in the land. They, they hailed with delight leaving, not knowing where they were going. Jesus knew where he was going. Let us run with perseverance. This is the very next chapter, kind of bringing some concluding thoughts. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy he had set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus went to the cross with joy. These guys went to live in tents with joy. I struggle with the living intense part, but we are all following the one who didn't just... Look, Abraham left not knowing where he was going, risking his life, but Jesus, knowing exactly where he was going to the cross, gave up what's to come in order to bring us there. Uh, There's this verse that I'll often read at at funerals. Uh, It says something to the effect of, um, you know, uh, on the, on the last night that Jesus was hanging out with the disciples, this is John 14, if you, if you want to look at it. But then the last night with his disciples, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. He basically just laid the bomb that he was going to leave them. Do not let your hearts be troubled because I'm going ahead to prepare for you 
a room of many houses. You know, he's going ahead to prepare what's to come. And I used to think that basically meant, oh, okay, God is, you know, Jesus was saying, I'm going ahead to prepare. And what that means is he's going to go up to heaven and get at it. I don't know, Minecraft style, right? Playing with Lego, just get things set up for us. But I shouldn't joke about that. I mean, prepare this wonderful city who he's the architect of, right? But I've actually come to realize that that's not so much the power of what he said when he said, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a way. What he was saying when he was saying, I'm going to go to prepare a way for me, is he was going to the cross. Jesus came giving up what's ahead to make a way for us to go and be with him forever. And that's what the cross is all about. He died for our sins. If we'd receive him, what he's done for us, that through his resurrection, historical resurrection, the life that he was given, we now too can have life in his name, that we can be restored. And it's that that gives us this joy because we no longer see ahead at, oh, here are the wonderful things ahead of what's to come, uh, as amazing as that is, but we now see the one who has made it possible for us to be there. Uh, I quoted a few folks about how amazing heaven is earlier. I want to read this quote. is William Barclay. For the Christian, heaven is where Jesus is. We don't need to speculate on what heaven will be like. It is enough to know that we will forever be with him. Um, we can have joy in facing uh, even the hardest things in this life, in sacrifice, because we, we, we see the one who made that infinite sacrifice, costing him everything for us in order to make a way for us to be there with him. Church family, this is our calling. Uh, if you're here today and you're exploring the Christian faith, you're trying to figure these things out, this is the gospel that Forever, for anybody who would believe in his name, who would receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. You can receive him today, become a follower of his, based on what he's done for you, not anything you or I could do. But church family, this is our, this is our calling, to be here for good. In light of what's to come, and I don't even think we have, we, we don't even have like the smallest clues of how amazing it's going to be. You know why? Because our own hearts, our own dreams need to be restored as much as everything else. It's going to be amazing. It's wonderful promise. And ultimately, we get to be with him. And so let's work in this life. Let's commit to reordering our loves, to being available, to asking God, what are you doing? What do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with us even this week? Let's pray. I do want to give you the opportunity, as I just mentioned, if you're here today with, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would like to receive what Jesus has done for you, this is what all of it comes down to. If there's nothing else to hear today, it's this. Everything else matters not in comparison to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that is, he, sent, he came into this world to die for you and your sins. That if you believe in him, that you receive what he has done for you, you will have everlasting life with him. And if you would like to receive that today by believing in him, or by receiving what he's done uh, the forgiveness of, offering you forgiveness of sins, you can do that today in your heart. And I just encourage you to raise your hand, not for the sake of, of, of being awkward or anything, but so that I see your hand and I can pray for you. Um, but if you'd like to receive what Jesus has, has done for you, you can raise your hand. I'll see it. I'll pray for you. I want to give you that opportunity. Just give you a moment. Yes, a couple hands. Yes. Another moment or two, if you'd like to raise your hand to receive Jesus. Father, I first want to pray for those who raise their hands today that you would receive them into your love and care. 
that, as Michael Ketterer said, you know, struggle with at a young age, we can really fully utilize, we can fully begin to understand spiritually that you are there to hold us, grasp us spiritually in your arms, and that if we're in your arms, we can never be taken away. Thank you for these two sisters who raised their hand to receive you. Would you be with them? Would you pour your spirit into them, minister to them? Father, would you minister in each and all of us? And uh, would you help us to be a church that's here for good, looking to have a lasting impact for the good in the lives of those you've placed us around? Physically, tangibly, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, we long to see the gospel go out that people would come to know you, the life that there is in Jesus' name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.